Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we got a lot to discuss, including some big promotions, and we're joined by Eric Garfield of Utah Street Report to help us break down the Florida Complex League. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So just a quick shout-out to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for your continued support and for everything that you're doing to uh, – Support our not just our podcast, but some of the daily content we've been uh, dropping on Patreon. And I'm going to let Bob shout out our new members real quick. Yeah, absolutely. We have a small group this week. Um, I'm trying to see the date. <laughs> when, when did we last record? The 9th. So let's see. Ben Krentler, your new Kevin Brown. I don't know if it's that Kevin Brown, but Kevin Brown is our Patreon. Uh, subscriber Elizabeth Benford and I can't remember if Dan Farkas was before or after our last podcast and same with Alakan Salehi I'm not sure they were both on the ninth and I can't remember if I said their names or not but if I did double shout out to you yes thank you for your support and before we uh, bring in Eric and we really get into discussing the Florida Complex League I did want to run down the promotions that took place today because uh, a lot of big names went up. Blaine Knight and Cody Sedlock make the jump from Bowie to Norfolk. Tyler Burtz, Morgan McSweeney, Garrett Stallings, Andrew Dasbach, Jordan Westberg, who a lot of fans have been calling on for, to be promoted, and J.D. Mundy make the jump from Aberdeen to Bowie. Uh, among those going from Delmarva to Aberdeen include T.T. Bowens and Christopher Cespedes, as well as Lamar Sparks, who, if you've listened to our last few shows, you know that he's firmly on our radar right now. And Gene Carmona, uh, the player acquired in the Jonathan Scope trade several years ago that after uh, kind of slipping off the radar a little bit, has broken out as a nice year in Delmarva. And this is where I'll go to Eric for reaction. Uh, among the players making the jump from the Florida Complex League to Delmarva, Colin Burns, Connor Norby, Kobe Mayo, Colton Kowser, Reed Trimble, Dante Williams, uh, Billy Cook, Connor Pavoloni, but that's just some of the players that went on. We have the full list over on our Facebook page and on Twitter, so be sure to check it out. So uh, I'll now introduce our guest. He's a minor league reporter at Utah Street Report. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Eric Birdland, where he has pretty much unmatched Florida Complex League coverage. He's Eric Garfield. Eric, how are you? Great. Happy Monday. 
Welcome so, to the number two system, also, by the way. Yeah, huge news. America. Yes, and number one if you look at fan graphs. But yeah, Eric, thanks for coming on. Your essential follow for any Orioles fans out there. Same to you. Uh, just the, the list that you read, Zach, I really haven't seen that much of all of those players, with the exception of Mayo. I've seen just about all of his home games and... Uh, more than a handful on the road. The other ones, the draftees from this year, a handful of at-bats and, you know, like one or two games for Cook, one or two games for, for Burns. But all of them showed very, very positive. So I can understand why they're moving up pretty quickly. So I'll start off um... – with this, which is that you're at these games regularly, and it's a much different atmosphere than the typical minor league game. Uh, there's very few fans in attendance, if any. Most days, uh, very little fanfare going on. What is it like to watch baseball in that kind of environment? Wow. Uh, that is an awesome question. It's If you like baseball and like uh, the practice development aspect of it, it's as pure as, as it can get. Most of the players that I've seen over the last couple days are the better versions of the ones I saw at the outset of the season. So you really have to kind of follow with the box score online. You have to listen to the umpires sometimes for what the count is, but it's raw baseball learning at the absolute bottom level. So the gameplay is not always the best or always the cleanest, but the lesson is for the players to respond to adversity. And the better teams I see are the ones who can play, make some mistakes and keep the same level of play, not get too down and not let it affect uh, and make a, a, a bad inning. So it's very, very different. Sometimes there's walk up music, but most of the time it's just, Raw, raw baseball, one team playing against another. Nice. So when you're watching these guys in Sarasota, how do you evaluate players at this level? I mean, you know, stats are just one part of the story. How much do you weigh those stats versus your own observations and other reports? And even for fans like us who don't live in Sarasota, if we are just have access to that box score, other than your highlights on Twitter and we're just looking at the box score, what are some maybe some more important stats for fans to look at? Okay. Again, that's really a great question. I wish, I wish everybody was wondering this stuff, but I guess you want to see any aspects of development or improvement. Can a guy take his athleticism that I see in drills or practice and translate it to a, a game result, a better at bat, getting closer on a, on a fly ball that he's pursuing? Uh, timing with the transfer from a ground ball. So stats almost play a really minimal role in, in, in what I see down here. You just are looking for improvement. And I guess with pitchers, you're really not looking at, can the guy last six innings, throw 100 pitches, and have 10 strikeouts? You want to see, can he does he have a breaking ball? Can he pitch off of it? Is he a fastball location guy? Can he pitch off of that? So really incremental bits of learning kind of come together and paint a, a clearer picture. So stats are part of it, but really 
it's kind of like high-level practice for the offense and defense with some pitchers involved. How important for me when I'm looking at the FCL box scores, I'm looking at a walk to strikeout ratio or, you know, if they can work in at bat and keep the strikeouts relatively low. How important do you think that is? Ooh. It's, it's, it's really hard to say because different pitchers are working on different things. And sometimes it's not always results oriented like, uh, an example, Dan Hammer, it looks like he's coming back from rehab. So he's not dominating the count. He's not dictating the pace. It looks to me like he needs to survive three hitters and come back a couple days later and have another, and have another outing. That's the phase that he's in right now. So it's it's not as important as it is on other levels. But when a guy gets to a three ball count three or four times in an inning, that's a sign that whatever he's working on, it's probably not working that day. So at that point, guys get uh, warmed up in the bullpen and are ready to come in. Uh, On the other hand, you talked about strikeouts and like the Orioles uh, face a starter today, Jimenez for the Rays, he had 10 strikeouts in I think four and change innings. He, you know, he's an excellent pitcher. So he is dictating the pace of every game that he's in. It's not rare that an Orioles pitcher performs that way, but usually it's more for two or three innings as opposed to five or six. Okay, cool. And um, one of my favorite videos you always post, and now unfortunately we're going to have to get those from MILB TV is when Kobe Mayo cracks a bomb over the deep left field wall. Are his home runs as loud in person as they are in those videos? Oh, uh, absolutely, yes. He really has. You know, it's hard for me to to show it in the videos. I'm not that close, and it really is my phone. But his his whip action when the, when the bat is over here to here, and the adjustments that he can make while doing that are ridiculous. I've seen. You know, I've got video of him driving pitches that are more pitchers pitches deep deep and high to towards left some for home runs i remember at the the red sox one would would be a home run anywhere else but it just it just hit the the high wall so yeah it's 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 very exciting and i have talked to his folks about sending me uh videos if they're ever at uh the games and i have a feeling they're going to be at several (laughs) <laughs> nice. Can't so wait I'll to see the, those. I'll get, I'll get the live videos, but uh, we'll probably have some off MILB also. Very cool. So there's a lot of discussion about Mayo's defense, about whether or not he can stick a third. Based off of what I saw in your clips, um, I liked his footwork. I liked his arm action coming across his body to throw the ball to first. But you obviously saw a lot more than what's in those clips. Um after his time in the Florida Complex League, do you think he can stick at third? Do you think there's some development work that needs to be done there? Or do you agree with the notion that he's going to outgrow the position and have to move somewhere else eventually? Uh, I never really think about like the outgrowing, and I, I don't like to speculate on that. Everybody said Gunner was going to outgrow shortstop. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a shortstop, and I'm, I like, like – 
evaluating what I do see, not what I might see down the road. Uh, I guess the best way to answer that is to say, first of all, his arm and the accuracy and, again, that whip action on that arm can really make up for the incremental timing mistakes. But I didn't really see those. He is a good athlete that just happens to be tall. His lower half and his upper half work excellently together. So if I had to answer that, I would say everything that I saw from him at third, soft hands, good supple hands, a quick transfer. Those those things to me make me think that he should or will stay at third. I really didn't see like a long guy that can't reach or when he has to go down for a bare hand, it takes too long to get back into his chest. I saw more athleticism out of that position than I than I thought. So I guess to answer your question, I would say from from what my evidence, I would say stick. Awesome. Nice. Love to hear that. I know everyone is extremely excited to watch Kobe Mayo finally play, get our own eyes on this kid after two years now, almost uh, since the Orioles drafted him. Excited to watch Remember, him for sure. Not- He's not played a lot of baseball in the last two years. So this kind of June, July, August session is really him showing who he is. And I again, I don't like to speculate, but it really kind of got to the point where he's making pitchers look worse than they are. So, you know, le- level level off time. Nice. Definitely. And that's that's a good point, too. The lack of playing time he's had over the last two years because of COVID and, and cancellations and everything for him to get promoted after just a, really a small handful of games, I think, speaks to how good of a player he is. But I want to talk about exactly. uh, I know you didn't get to see much of this guy, but another pick. I know you've been a big fan of Colton Kowser since before the draft. Uh, your mock drafts you did with Prospects Live, you called Colton Kowser. You seem to be in love with this guy very early on. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are your impressions of Kowser? Kind of take the floor on him, and what can Orioles fans expect to see when we get to watch him on Tuesday? Okay, it's good that, you, that we transitioned from Kobe to him because he was a guy that really some of his first at-bats were just making – they just looked a little, too, a little too easy. There was one where he really kind of just held the bat out and let the ball hit it, and it went for a single. Uh, I guess his skill set for, for a team, an organization that has some question marks depth-wise at the outfield, it really is. It, it really is the perfect pick. He's shown off a good, strong, accurate arm, moving to the place where the ball is going to land, good strides in the outfield, a quick first step for a guy that's a little bit taller and larger and broader than I thought. But offensively, he's so calm during his at-bats. And he really spits on a lot of close pitches. So I, I, I couldn't tell if that was his advanced strike zone judgment or the lack of the, the pitchers really being able to challenge him. But again, he, look, he, he looked great. And he even looked fast uh, off, a, off a big lead, stealing bases. So I cannot think of a more fitting and exciting player to add to the top of the outfield depth chart than, than him. And when he makes contact, he has a great, a great deal of strength for someone that has yet to enter a a, a pro weight program. 
so he can drive the ball with with serious authority. His offensive skill set it's 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 outstanding. I can't believe they laughed at me when I said we were going to pick him, and I'm just I really am so 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 happy that that like I said he's atop the, the outfield depth chart. Who's laughing now? Looked like he was playing little league out there in the FCL. So <laughs> I'm laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you see, you got to see. Most uh, of all the hitters that or position players that the Orioles drafted in 2021, and they're obviously all moving up to Delmarva now, or at least most of them. But which players, or at least which, let's say, tool stood out, like Ryan Higgins' power, or is there any one tool from one of these 2021 draftees that really just stood out as something advanced? I would say two. Actually, I would say three. Sorry. Uh, the catcher, Connor Pavlovny, and his arm. That's definitely one I could see right away that he was not going to spend too much time stealing his uh, strategy in the in the Florida Complex League. But he showed with pickoffs throwing behind the guys and throwing popping up and throwing to second. He's you know that's that's probably why he got all the eyes on him. Uh, there's one Burns with with the glove and as far as like positioning and fielding posture again, extreme. All I really needed to see was one hard grounder that took a hop and it did he he played the hop the hop didn't play him so great hips and great posture for uh for Burns uh Burns Pavlovny and uh I cannot remember the other one right now uh, it wasn't Dante Williams it wasn't Teeter Trimble maybe those were Rhodes. The only two. <laughs> No, no, but Rhodes actually showed in a couple of at-bats a very good selective eye at the plate, takes balls, swings at strikes. But again, I, I think I only really saw him five or six times in total. Yeah. Nice yeah. clutch uh, two RBI double when, the, when they needed it, though. So good for Rhodes. So what do you make of the season Luis Gonzalez is having? The stats obviously aren't good, but a lot of the reports that we're hearing about him are very positive. And have you seen glimpses of, the, of that this year, or are you concerned a little bit based on his numbers? I watched him today. I'm so glad you asked. And I'm so glad that he basically has the next month to be an everyday player. The more I watch him, the more I think he's the kind of guy who thrives on everyday use. He needs to get into a pattern and a routine of playing regularly. Uh He's a guy that has not had problems translating the athleticism to the on-field. He hits it hard. He pursues the ball in the air very, very well. A good, strong, balanced guy who's growing into his body. So, uh, again, he's, he's a great example of don't go by the stats. Watch what he's able to do and also... At the very beginning of the season, it looked like he was. It looked like this year was going to be a, str- a big struggle for him. But now he, like I said, he has a a more level head. He uses his athleticism, and he's someone who has impressed me with his game. It just hasn't broken through to the point where he's going to rack up a bunch of two for fives in a week. But he is a good player, and I would say. Uh, ranking him in the Orioles' top 30 prospects makes a great deal of sense. Uh, it's easy to watch him play week in and week out, 
and, and think the best is, is yet to come. So he's a player I really, really, really like a lot. I want to stick to these young international outfielders because this is a group that I'm really excited about. Uh, but everyone talks about Taryn Vavra and Tyler Nevin when you're talking about that Michael Givens return from the Rockies. But Michelle Desson, guy who received rave reviews since joining the organization. Joe, I love Joe Trez's piece that really highlighted the, his personality kind of off the field as well. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of that action for FCL and Dominican Summer League guys. What does Desson do well? And is he someone that you think will shoot up prospect rankings next year when more people finally get to watch him? Before I go long, I'll say, uh, uh, yes, I do think he will. And what does he do well? Everything. He is fast. Actually, no, not everything. It looks like he needs to probably gain a little bit more weight. So he can bring a little bit more strength to the game. He has great short uh, short burst acceleration. He's a good strider on the base pat, base pats. He's improved his path to the fly ball significantly. Uh, today, today he had a, a great play, a great example of his speed. He's on uh, second, and there's uh, no outs. A ball gets hit to the third baseman in front of him, a good third baseman on Tampa Bay. They field it and turns to throw to first. The second to third baseman turned to throw across the diamond, Deshaun shot from second to third and made it to third before the third baseman could realize what's happening and get back to the bag. Later, he stole second off of a, a very good catcher. So he really, he is bringing that athleticism into the game and into the stats. Also, he's like, he's a coach's dream he takes the cage work right to the field. When he works up the middle on the cage, he hits up the middle in the game. So, you know, that that he really is a sky is the limit type of guy. And Vavra was there and looked looked great, but it's it's hard for someone that follows the low minors like us to watch Deshaun and not be excited about him. You know, I think as early as next year, he's going to be a little bit bigger and stronger and providing a great deal of, of excitement for fans like us. Yeah, and that's the thing we haven't had as Orioles fans basically ever is a bunch of these international high upside guys that can really explode with some development in the in the early minors, and that's what we're going to see here soon. But I know here's two guys I know you love. We're going to, you know, everyone talks about the middle infielders that the Orioles have drafted the last few years and traded for, but what about Isaac De Leon and Nolberth, Nolberth Romero, two very young shortstops acquired in trades recently. What do you love about these guys? Wow. Um, De Leon, I would say really everything. And, and whoever wrote that is exactly right. His fielding posture and his fielding pace are reminiscent of someone who's been in the major leagues for a little while he doesn't rush and when he does rush he does it the throw isn't horrible he's he just plays defense with a great pace he can go the opposite way on offense but he's more of a line drive pull hitter that likes the ball like up 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 in his face and can do a lot with that so you know that is great on its own but when you think about how the organization acquired him and what we gave up to get somebody with 
with so much upside and really such a, a strong foundation to build on. Just, just an awesome move. Uh, Romero is someone who I didn't really know that much and didn't uh, see or really expect that much out of when the season started. But he, he has versatility. He can play second, third, and short. And he can make the throw in the hole from every single position. Like the Manny Machado throw from the third baseline, where he's really on the opposite side of it. He can make that with accuracy and with steam on the throw. His he he really he really moves his feet and his legs in position to make a play. You know, again, like someone that is 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 really 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 uh, a, a, a very high level defender. I don't know if it's someone that can grow into like a Caden Grenier type of skill set, but for the FCL and playing second, playing third, playing short. Romero is 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 not going to hurt you, and not a big guy, but has a couple home runs, and you know not every home run in the FCL is over the fence. His home runs are over the fence. So everybody's talking about, or everybody likes the the Cashner for Prado deal. But remember, Romero was another guy in that deal also. It's a trade that it seems like the you know a few years out does seem to be presenting some upside, which is always a good thing. Um, another player that we've heard a lot about coming into this year is Steven Acevedo. Uh, a lot of hype or so over the last year. Based off of what you've seen, is he meeting the hype? Yeah, he's the guy who has translated his athleticism into performance the most and the best and has also gained the most good baseball weight and is, because of that, hits the ball harder, louder, farther. Uh, I would say that of the the, the outfielders right now, the, the, the black team outfield, it's uh, Gonzalez, Desan, and him. He's the one who I would say right now maybe should think about testing him against better pitchers. Maybe not because his stats show that he's ready, but he he's he's shown signs of a breakthrough. So when I see something like that, I might want to let them break through against a better quality of slider or a better breaking ball. So I think Acevedo is someone who has really come on. And as far as hype, it, it might not be warranted right now. But again, he's another guy a, a year from now who could be absolutely huge in more ways than one. Yes. Let's transition to pitching. Um, and Raul Rangel and Gene Pinto were two pitchers who I think the three of us were really intrigued by when the FCL season started. We saw Pinto move up to Delmarva. He's dominating a uh, couple yes. of award, weekly awards already. Love watching this guy pitch. I think Bob hit it around the head that the three of us are going to have to fight over who loves him more. Um, but is is Raul Rangel, is he on that path as well? Can you give us a, a scouting report on him or is he a guy who's still maybe a little bit more ways away from reaching Delmarva? I would say both somehow. I haven't seen, I, I'm not, I, I don't sit close enough to recognize all the pitches that I'm really not allowed to, but he's the one who's consistently in the strike zone with everything with the movement pitches, with the fast pitches, and with off-speed. 
So he's shown the most consistency in the box. And with that, the weakest contact. So guys don't square him up. They don't barrel. A lot of what they touch with him really goes straight down, which leads me into my absolute favorite aspect of him, his fielding and his first step towards grounders and his pickoff throws and his double plays and his pitcher's fielding practice. So he does have good stuff, solid stuff. He does control at bats, but he defends his position so well. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if moving up is something that's that's coming soon, or if they want him to stay down and be kind of the the leader of the staff. But he's he's definitely done his job. Maybe not to the level and the the, the low walk total that Pinto did, but he's done his job for you know introducing himself to professional baseball in America. I'm I'm really, really, really impressed with his starts. I like his starts. Yeah, I'm hoping we do get to see him up with Delmarva at some point before the season's out. But at the very least, he should start there next year, which will be cool. But another pitcher, Luis Ortiz, who was the other big international signing from 2019, along with Luis Gonzalez. How has he looked on the mound? Big lefty, some velocity. He's had a couple rough outings, but have you seen him? I've seen two rough, rough, two of those rough outings, and they were, I want to say one was June and one was July. I want to say they were both against the, uh, the opposite color Orioles teams. So uh, one was him not being able to get out of three ball counts without walking people. Uh, much like Gonzalez and his stats have shown, you know, not told the whole story. I think with Ortiz, some of the stats have told a, a, a lot of the story. And whatever, he's one of those examples, whatever he's working on, it might be working in practice or in bullpen sessions. But when it comes to showing it to the opposition, what, what I've seen, it just hasn't been working yet. So I guess that's kind of unfortunate, but where he's one guy that's, that's underperformed. There's a lot of other guys that are showing their uh, higher degree of readiness. Remember, he's also young. I think he's 19, so he's got plenty of time. Guys like uh, Moises Ramirez and Hasway Cruz, uh, players we should watch? Wow. Uh, man, they're so young, and they're they, – yes, Absolutely. Cruz is, I mean, I don't know if you saw the home run that he hit today. He just he just demolished it. He really was not working the at-bat or was not working any at-bat. He really didn't look like he understood or had a good plan of, of what the pitcher was going to do. But that, that connection, and he really didn't even take that big of a stride. He had a 400 and at least 410 feet. So I, I love Cruz, and I love his swing. I would work to make him a more complete hitter. But, uh, yeah, he, he's a, a tall lefty corner who can use the right field line and, you know, the right field wall at, 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 at his leisure. And Ramirez is uh, a good, pretty well-built for 19 uh, defensive corner who has also showed a lot of power. He hit a uh, home run to... Uh, left field at Ed Smith Stadium on Saturday. So for for two really young guys, I mean my my comp, my comp physically for Moises Ramirez 
is young Miguel Cabrera, which is absolutely astounding. He looks like him. He's big like him. He doesn't, he doesn't lack athleticism because of his size. And he has a great right-handed cut with power. So, yeah, I, I would pay a lot of attention to those. And really, like you guys have said, we've never had, like, two guys like these at the same time. And now we have two teams almost full of these guys. So it's really, you know, it, it really makes a lot of sense that the ranking is up to number two when you have uh, teams and talent like this. Yeah, uh, to go off that, too, um, I like a, a tweet from Adam Pohl, one of the broadcasters of Bowie Bay Sox, he had today. When He's exactly right. Yeah, the, the, the Orioles have reached this number two peak right here, and well, not even the peak, I mean, we can still get number one, which we will be soon, hopefully. It's but be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they've reached number two, at least, and you know this doesn't really include, if you look at most top 30 lists, you see maybe one, maybe two international guys. All of these guys we're talking about already, some guys that you're going to highlight, hopefully, in a minute, they haven't cracked that top 30 yet. And we haven't even really seen the big, big money start to flow in this organization. So definitely Michael's makes this. Michael's going to be up there. You know, we all, we all recognize that he's going to, when he starts showing what he is, he's going to be a top 15 player for the Orioles. Nice. Yeah. Um, real quick, Nick, it's just interesting. I've heard a few people mention how, you know, what's, what's it going to look like when Adley and DL and Grayson graduate and what's going to happen to our ranking then? Well, by then, I feel like some of these international guys will explode onto the scene a little bit more and and kind of take over that top 100 mantle. At least that's what I'm thinking. And Jordan Westberg, guys like that who aren't there yet. Definitely. Um, I want to ask about another guy. We mentioned his name briefly earlier, but we haven't seen him at all this year. Elio Prado. The other piece of the Andrew Kashner trade, have you heard anything about his status, what the injury was, or if he's if you're going to have the opportunity to see him at all this year? Uh, I'm almost positive that it was a lower leg fracture that happened off a foul ball in a scrimmage before the season started. Uh that's not fact. I'm like I said. I'm almost positive. Uh, I don't know when he's going to come back. I really haven't seen him in quite a while. So that doesn't mean he's not there. That doesn't mean he's not working to get better. I just haven't seen him in the dugout for like five or six games. Uh, I did watch him practice, and he's a good baseball player. He's an exciting and very quick uh, outfielder. So. I'm hoping that because the injury wasn't major, that he will get back to adequate health to perform this year. And when he does, I would say I'm probably more excited of, about his talent and skill set than any of the other outfielders that we mentioned so far today. So I, I would expect big things, but I guess... I expect big things from all these guys. <laughs> That's pretty exciting considering the guys we've talked about. But um, I Not guess this – yeah, cool. Can't wait to see them. Uh, I guess this last question will kind of segue into our non-top 30 player of the week. But um, just as we did last week with Paul, we're going to ask you, are there any guys down in Sarasota right now who have caught your eye with a flashy tool or show notable growth over the course of the summer, but no one's talking about basically who's your under the radar, your big dark horse sleeper pick. 
it, mm. the, the floor is yours here. So if you have multiple that you want to yeah. uh, enlighten us on, please. Go yeah, go it. off. <laughs> I guess I would say Miguel Padilla, the pitcher, I think was acquired from Houston. For the As, Hector Gonzalez trade? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm almost positive that we're yeah. right. It's good teamwork. He has a great breaking ball, an A-plus breaking ball. I haven't seen more than one version of it, but when it's on and he's releasing it right, it's the kind that even if you're guessing for it and you're waiting for it, it still might spin a little bit later than you think. So what he will become as a guy who uses a breaking ball as a foundation, I, I would say... That is my my number one under the radar uh, potential guy and great great teammate. Very loud, very outgoing, very supportive of teammates. Even when he is doing bad or when his innings aren't going the way that they want. So Padilla has a good head on his shoulders. But when that breaking ball snaps off, I mean, it is absolutely filthy. People are going to be excited when he uses that against against good hitters. And he can move it inside and outside. So I guess his breaking ball and what it can be is someone somewhat under the radar that we we, we, we haven't talked about and people don't talk about that much. Love Padilla. Absolutely love him. Yeah, the numbers aren't there, but when you see video of that curveball from your feed, it's it's pretty impressive stuff. I love it. So we do have a question here from Simpkin Tribute that I'll read before we move on. Is Did you hear why the Orioles have been slow to use the drafted pitchers and pitcher free agents? Is there some secret on board process? Uh, Nick, you want to take it? I mean, I, I just think – you go. I guess – I guess we can just say from like a philosophical standpoint, I guess you didn't get to see any of the the drafted pitchers in the FCL this season. I think Carlos Tavera was promoted to Delmarva. Um, what do you make of that? Is this organization, I know a lot of minor league or, or major league organizations really don't like to use their college pitchers the year they're drafted, but are you surprised that you didn't see more of these guys in the FCL yet? A little bit. I also did get to see a couple of the UDFA. They really, you know, they only pitched, I think, in two games or three games. One, only one was at home this weekend. So that was Fetterman, Price, and Carson Carter. So uh, I, I wish that I had a more educated answer for as much attention as I pay. I can say that the day they passed the physical, they were on the backfields working and doing a lot more calisthenics and exercise work than pitching specific work. Uh, I know they were in the bullpen every single game, and I know they were on the rosters online and on the paper rosters that they gave out. I do not have an answer uh, even talking to people like uh, outside of the team, I really don't have a, a good answer for why they weren't used or utilized that much because I saw several games where the lead was getting out of hand and uh, relief was needed and they were they were passed over more than once. 
So there's got to be something to it. But, you know, I, I really would rather just not speculate if I don't if I don't know. My guess is that they're just more concerned about building these guys up, getting them back into playing shape that rather than just getting them a few innings in the FCL. And then when they're ready, they can get them to the level that they think they should be at, which apparently is Delmarva right now. Right. Certainly makes sense. Do you get, before we dive into our players again, you talked about speaking with guys. How much access have you gotten this year? Is it still really closed off down there because of maybe COVID protocols or are you still able to get a little bit more information from, from talking to players and coaches? Uh, well, I have not talked to any coach or any trainer that works with the rookie league because they're mostly new. I really only know uh, one from the previous, uh, like the 2019 season. Most of them have moved on and moved up. Some of, you know, you've, you've interviewed and uh, know a couple of them. So I guess uh, what I know comes from communicating with, uh, with players and with family members or coaches or teammates. Uh, so I kind of know what to look for, but, um, as far as the team and the organization itself, I really don't try to, uh, overstep any boundaries cause they're professionals and I'm less than professional. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I really, you know, I kind of just want them to win the world series. I don't need to have like any, any part of it. I just want to want to see progress. Uh, when when Kobe's family and his extended traveling party were, were there for every game, I got a lot of information on him from them, and uh, it kind of is empty watching w- without them. But uh, if you go every day and you pay attention, you're going to learn a lot. And Oriole fans would really enjoy doing what I'm doing. It's kind of like. I won a game show prize and get to use it every single day. One of the the ushers at Tampa Bay today asked me, how do you know every every player on your team and every player on our team? And I said, I, I go every single day. So how you know, when am I giving myself time to really forget? Yeah. And for those that aren't lucky enough to be able to do that, they can easily follow you on Twitter and get pretty much close to the same access. I mean, as good as look as you could possibly give us. So I get that's the awesome. balls, they can get the video. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Uh, my under the radar guy for this week is going to be Rylan Bannon, who, who just decided the season started this week, apparently, because he went off for like a 2,200 and something OPS with five home runs, a double, five walks. I mean, could you imagine if this was the first week of the season and he did this? Orioles fans would be like, Jemai Jones, who? We got to get this guy up immediately. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, since he did it after batting 130 with a 490-something OPS, he actually raised his OPS over 150 points. And, hey, maybe he can get hot over the next few weeks and then find his way up to the majors since Michael Franco is doing nothing up there. And he's already on the 40-man, so why not give him a shot? But shout-out to Ryland Bannon for – finding his stroke he was on fire it seemed like every swing he took just was crushing the ball yeah i hope this lasts because i'm reminded now of why we were so high on bannon coming into the 2020 season and coming into 2021 so it's good to see him hitting the way he is my pick for this week is jd mundy who was one of the players that makes the move uh he goes from aberdeen to Bowie. 
We know Monday has been good all year. He's now going to his third level. But I was looking at his splits today, and I found it interesting that he has been off to an excellent start in August. Uh, so far, 884 OPS, 310 average, a home run, nine RBIs, eight walks. So putting up good numbers right now uh, has been good all year. So shout out to him for getting a promotion to Bowie, and he's certainly putting together a strong season after being an undrafted free agent a year ago. From undrafted to skyrocketing straight to double-A Bowie, pretty cool. It's really cool to see. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and Monday, I believe, has the highest OPS among all full-season affiliate hitters. So, Adley Rutschman, who? Um, I'm going <laughs> with uh, Andrew Doshbach. I mean, this guy, 7 for 22 last week, 318 average, a 400 on-base percentage, three doubles, two walk-offs on the same exact day, uh, Aberdeen's doubleheader there. The next day he hits a home run, and then he caps it off with a promotion to Bowie. I'm excited to watch him at Bowie, and hopefully we see a lot of that power. He tapped into that power a little bit, like we've seen Zach Watson do and Kyle Stowers do uh, when they've reached Bowie. Um, definitely excited for Doshbach because I was excited for him before the season started, and I know he got off to a really slow start, but um, good to see him do that. And I want to ask you, Eric, looking at full season, guys, we know you spent all day – at uh, the games, the backfields out there watching the FCL games, but then you go home and watch full season ball. Are there any guys that are really standing out to you this year as just guys that you are really excited for as far as their potential to make an impact at the major league level in the next couple of years in Baltimore? Yes, there are a lot, but really there's, there's one that stands out so much. When I had access to the minor league camp in 2019, I was I was everywhere. I was in the cage with the players. So I saw all their swings and where, where they were. From that point to now, Zach Watson is a different physical performer. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert. I was just ready to say this guy's swing looks really messed up and needs a lot of work. And to now, he is a power hitter so remember he was drafted with significant pedigree so he out of all the guys that i that i really like and have liked for a long time he's the one that's really kind of forced the issue like look what i'm doing look how far it's going when i'm getting that good connection so yeah there's a lot of guys there's dozens of guys you know i love gunner i love daryl but i mean how can you really look past the the the, the transformation into someone that looks like a major league track for Zach Watson. That's very, very, very thrilling for me. I mean, he's, yeah. he's crushing. Absolutely. I wrote about him in my down on the farm piece uh, today and for his slender as he is and good defensively and how fast he is, he can steal bases. He has just turned into a slugger with 16 runs this year. I mean, he's, crushed one over 400 feet and he did the bat flip like he knew it on Sunday. That was pretty cool. So yeah, he's, he's really improved. I think him and Forcing Kyle Stowers. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cause he now feels like he's not going to have to be a guy that relies solely on speed and defense to get to the major leagues, which I think coming into this year, that might've been our expectation a little bit, but the bat is really coming along. Put it over the wall, Zach Watson. That's, that's a good strategy. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So, Eric, can you? Um, we really appreciate having you on tonight. Uh, you know that you joined us. Uh, we love your work, and can you tell our listeners where they can find you? 
Uh, I write when uh, I'm not. My head isn't spinning from going to every FCL game. I write for UtahStreetReport.com. We've got uh, a lot of great writers that focus on the minors and the majors. And uh, I put up the videos of, of what I see and uh, my dog and, and exercising in Florida on uh, both Instagram and Twitter at Eric underscore Birdland. So uh, there's going to be plenty more. The season goes on until September 18th. And uh, Orioles Black has a game tomorrow. I believe that we're hosting the uh, Red Sox. So that's noon tomorrow. Yeah, be sure to check out Eric's work. Thank you for him to coming on, and uh, thank you to Nick and Bob for this episode of On the Verge. Be sure to continue to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com throughout the week to get the latest Orioles, Ravens, and other sports coverage. Bob has a couple of pieces up uh, that he posted today, including his three up, three down, and his down the farm uh, articles. I may have a story later this week, so be sure to check that out, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. We are planning to have a guest next week, uh, so stay tuned there for more details on that. So uh, follow us there on Twitter, at BSL and the Birds. Thank you to Eric Garfield for joining us tonight. And for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden, and you've been listening to On the Birds.